This is Sad Boy Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sad Boy Radio. This is your host, Matt. And today I got a very special guest, uh, you know, a little big name, a little some some. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name is Stephen Walsh. I am a film producer and director working on a current documentary called Southeast, a city within a city. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, go ahead and talk about that project a little bit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've been doing documentary work for the last six years, and um, when I first started my company, I didn't really know what I was doing um, in terms of technical camera work. So a lot of um, my practice was recording just shit basically around the house, just anything that I kind of encountered on a daily when I was first moving back from Houston. And um, I spent a lot of time recording my grandfather, just this, you know, kind of old mythical feeling character that uh, I spent a lot of my childhood with. And um, when I was first starting my company, I was at home trying to get everything on, you know, on the move and on the ground running. And so while I was practicing, I would sit and record and play music. And he's this extremely talented musician and songwriter and storyteller. And I would record him so that I can practice editing later. And people would see the stuff. And, you know, for me, it was just like me practicing, trying to get lighting right, trying to get my cinematography right, trying to understand sound, audio, all the tech stuff that I was, I was lacking in my, in my career so far. And people would just gravitate, gravitate towards him. Um, and I just thought he was a fascinating dude. I mean, he's got an incredible voice, soulful. You know, you can just hear the experience in his, in his tone. And he's, you know, super smart and witty, and so he's a great storyteller for that reason. And, so I realized I was onto something. You know, he would talk a lot about his music. Um, music's a huge part of my family. It's a huge part of my life, and it's a huge part of his life. He's been a songwriter for about 60 years. Um, and so just naturally through life, a lot of his lyrics told the story of my neighborhood. And, and my neighborhood is this really beautiful, tragic story about a community that was once one of the most impactful in the world. They produced more steel than any other place in the world at one point. And in the early 80s, all the way up through the 90s, all those steel mills closed down. All those people lost their jobs, and you just had this community with a bunch of people from all over the world with, with no jobs. So naturally, it became a jungle, became territorial, and you know my gramps was an, an active member trying to survive in there. So. Um, the story went from being about him and, and what he went through to, to my community at large and what we went through. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad to see because a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people from my neighborhood don't even know about it. You know, So much history has happened in that one place that's changed the labor movement, that's changed the racial climate, the environmental climate. Um, and our kids don't even know about it. So you know, my mission with this documentary is to tell that story truthfully, holistically and, and whole culturally. I yeah. think a lot of it, you know, you, you kind of hear one perspective in a lot of these pieces and it's often the black and brown one that's that's not heard. So I want to make sure that this is inclusive. This is definitely like a really great story to tell because like you said, a lot of people don't know it. Even being from Chicago, I don't even know it, right? So I'm definitely excited to see the project and see what comes about it. And you definitely got to put on for your city. You got to put on for... You know, the people around you, a lot of artists tend to do that, right? Such as Big Sean with Detroit, uh, August Alcina with New Orleans, even Nipsey Hussle with Crenshaw, right? Because there's so many stories to be told. And you get one part of that story, but you don't get the full, full story. And even the documentary, you know, it's going to be one part of the story, but you're trying to capture it all. You're trying to 
display it for the world to see and most importantly the community that is going through it exactly man exactly you know for me storytelling is all about finding themes that people can connect to you know not everybody's from chicago not everybody knows the difference between those of of the south chicago area and those of the north chicago area you know some people have it all scrambled as as one place some people really know that difference so i kind of try to stay away from the more exact and i like to focus on those themes that anyone can resonate with which is if i got a kid and i lost my job i'm gonna do whatever i gotta do to take care of him i mean as a father i know what that means so i can only imagine what it would feel like to be good at one thing your whole life you were told your whole life you were gonna go and work at the steel mill your dad worked there his dad worked there there wasn't no college back then. It was you, you, you turn in your diploma and you pick up a hard hat and you go to work. So imagine if that's all you know how to do and then in one instance, your job's gone. I mean, for some of these people, they took their jobs, they took their pensions, they took their last checks. They didn't even let them into their lockers. You know, it's, it's, it's as if we just didn't matter anymore. We didn't need it. So there's a lot of themes that people can relate to because all across America this happened. It's deindustrialization. It's globalization. It's... It's the rust belt, you know. I think a lot of people can relate to what it feels like to have to do what you have to do to survive, to have to deal with the turmoil of wanting to be someone but having to do something and those things not being able to live with each other, you know. It's it's in all of these stories throughout all of history. It's just never really been told from our perspective. So that's what I'm trying to do. Definitely, definitely. So what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned throughout filming the documentary? Man, that's interesting. Um, You know, one thing that's changed a lot about the documentary is me and my position in it. Um, You know, I was mentioning earlier, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of being in front of the spotlight. I've I've, I've grown through time to want to be more on the sidelines thinking, you know, than in the front doing just naturally. And what we discovered while making this documentary is that I am actually a pretty important and crucial aspect of it because I'm learning all of this shit as as I'm doing this research, as I'm interviewing these people. So it's really important now we're realizing for me to discover these things in front of the camera. And that's been its own important lesson for me to realize, you know, I got to put my, you know, somewhat shyness aside and understand that I'm a voice for these people. And that means the world to me. Um, you know, I was a teacher before I mentioned that. Representing people, helping people, educating people, that's something that I hope I do throughout my entire life. So as I'm learning these lessons, I think the most important lesson I'm learning is to keep delivering this to other people, you know, because like you said, so many don't know about it. You know, I, I'm schooling my family about these things that happen right in our backyard. And for them, it's like, holy shit. I, You know, you think about the labor movement, you think about communism, you think about Russia, you don't think about South Chicago. You know, you think about the racial inequities, this melting pot of people. You know, not many people think of South Chicago, but that was a place where immigrants from everywhere, I mean, I'm doing research on my one block, the one block my grandfather grew up on, 90th and Burley. It was Swedish, it was Austrian, it was German, it was Polish, it was black, it was Puerto Rican, it was Japanese, it was Mexican. And you don't know that. Like, people don't know that. On that same block, a Swedish immigrant came here to find a better life for their family. So, you know, the lesson in addition is also that all these people, they may, you know, we always think about race as being this big differentiator, and and it definitely is. But at the same time, when you see all of these stories about these people that are leaving one place to find a better place for their family, 
you, you at least can feel that there are some similarities that we have. And, you know, I think in today's day and age, it's important for us to realize that, you know, we're going to have differences and we should celebrate those. But we have to remember some of the things that hold us together, which is that we're all brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. Um, you know, we all have a, a role to play in our own world. And if we connected a little more, maybe there'd be a little less turmoil. This research is really is bringing out a bright spot in you, huh? It's crazy, man. Yeah, man. It's, it's important. It's important, man. You know, with this everyday journey with the documentary, right, it makes you have more questions in life. You know, that's a question that I asked you uh, before we even, you know, hopped on the show. It was through text. And you mentioned that risk. Risk is definitely a thing that you've been thinking a lot about. So go ahead and touch on it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely something that's been circulating in my mind. You know, I'm 31 right now, about to be 32. And, you know, obviously I'm coming into a new decade and my thought process has changed a lot from my 20s. Um, I think when I was able to take more risks because, you know, I was younger, you know, I, I, I had the ability to do so, to fall and get back up without too much repercussions. But now, you know, I'm a father, I'm running a company, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very active with my family and, you know, I can't really slip. I can't fall. I, I just can't. I got too much on my shoulders. So it's it's interesting to try to go through life and try to contemplate what I should do next because... Sometimes the thing that makes the most sense might not be the thing that's, you know, that I think is going to work. It's it's my gut versus my brain sometimes. And so, you know, I'm 31 right now. Things are going really well with my company. And even going into my company was such a risk. But again, I could I did that at the time. I didn't have a kid. I didn't have, I, I could fall and get back up. Um, and look what that's done. I mean, it's changed my life. I've, I've now been put in a position I never imagined I'd be in. Um, and so the thought of taking those big risks, I know that's how you get the big reward. You know, if you don't get out of your comfort zone, you're never going to do something outstanding. You know, you're just not. If you don't give it more work and if you don't try to perfect your craft more than the other person, then the other person's probably going to win that, you know. So I, I know what it takes, but when I got to think about paying the bills versus writing that script that I think in my gut is going to be something that can change the world – it's hard to look at your daughter and think about what that bill costs, you know, look at your family and see how much money they need. And I'm like, man, maybe I need to shoot this wedding instead. Maybe I need to get this bread right for these people I love, you know. So dealing with that has been something that, you know, as a man, I struggle with because I know that I have the capability to do something great. But I know that I have great expectations for what I got to do right now in the short term. So you know, that's the name of the game, and, you know, all I'm trying to do is stay focused so that I could do both as much as I could. And it's completely different than when, you know, you're young. When you're young, I've talked a lot about it on the show where you're able to do whatever you want. You know, you're able to go and get whatever you want to do uh, because while you're young, that's the time to do it, right? Uh, they say your 20s is the time to make mistakes. And like you said, early on, you could fall in, you know, get back up. But now if you fall, it's kind of like there's a greater weight that's going to be exactly, exactly right there falling with you. It's definitely a tough situation. And, man, I even, I even have it written down. You know, sometimes it doesn't always work out. And the hardest lessons to learn are just the ones that hurt the most. With that being said, sacrifice, sacrifice comes into it, right? Sacrifice is key to, you know, those big rewards. And 
an artist I think about is uh, Drake and his song Light Up, how he talks about, you know, nobody works. People are always telling him nobody works as hard as you. And that while everybody's out partying, he's still in the studio making the songs that they party to, you know. So with that being said, you know, what does sacrifice mean to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's 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 it right there. While you're, you know, while someone's celebrating, someone else is working. You know, we're all f- from the same fraternity here. When I was in college, I tried to live in that mentality. You know, I was the one throwing the parties. But anyone who really knew me knew that while the party was going on, I was probably in my room doing homework while that shit was happening. Because that's just, I, I, I needed both. I liked balance. Um, I think sacrifice is important. However, I think the key to winning in life is trying to minimize the sacrifices. So for me, it was like, do I have to make this sacrifice or can I do both? Am I just being lazy? You know. And I think that's something that people always struggle with is like time sacrifices. And I'm realizing more and more, especially with, you know, this last year, everyone had a lot more time on their hands. Um, I think everyone's colors came out and you start to see what people do with their free time. And for me, I just I just keep moving. I I like to move. I like to make moves. I like to meet people. I like to learn new things. I often, you know, reflect every night pretty much about did I learn something new today? Did I meet someone new today? Did I seek an opportunity? Did I miss one? Um, so for me, you know, sacrifice is it's cost benefit. You know, I do everything based off that I cost benefit. If I'm going to do this, what's the cost of it and what's the benefit? And I line them up because um, you got to make sacrifices. You have to. Um, but making the right sacrifices is what gets you to your dream faster. It's like the idea of, you know, you got to spend money to make money. Right. Because you would know with your company. Right. So when you first start off, you got to spend that money to make it back. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to sound like a little nerd right now, but like what I think about is wrestling promotions, right? Uh, I don't know if you follow wrestling, but I used to. There's this new company called AEW, right? And they got a TV deal with TBS, but they're still not a profitable company because they've invested into like making a video game. And the video game's costing them a bunch of money. And, you know, you see the trolls online just telling them, like, oh, wow, look, you're not profitable. You've been on for a year. And then there's other people that say, well, they're investing that money into something better for the future. So thinking about that, right, even in the startup company, even right now with the podcast, right, it's not like we're making anything, but you got to invest the time. You got to invest the money in order to make it into something. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, the name of the game is 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 trying to decide which sacrifice makes sense. You know, going back to the to the what is it, AEW? Yeah. I mean, I I'm 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 about a decade older than you, so I'm I'm a WWF kid, you know. I grew up on like Hulk Hogan and Doink the Clown, so it's way way back. But what I've what I've noticed is that it's obviously one of the most popular sports in history and like all things, what I'm starting to realize in life and like all organisms is there's always going to be this empire that grows and then collapses and a new empire grows and then collapses. And so when you're, you know, when you're coming at these big empire corporations or markets and you're someone new, you got to you got to do something different or else you ain't never going to match them toe to toe. You just can't. You're going to be out resourced. So. 
whoever had that idea, if they did their research route right and found out that, you know, maybe the, the WWE games were always getting shitty reviews and they realized that there's a potential opening there, then I think that's a smart move and it might you just might need to have a little patience, you know? But if they just kind of went out a, on a whim and didn't do their research right and could have put that money somewhere else then there might be a whole different conversation. And that's that's the name. It's not really about the sacrifices you make as much as knowing when to make them, knowing when to make one versus another. You know what I'm saying? Because that could be a move that's just going to take a little while to, to, to blow up. You got to bubble slow, you know? Um, or it could be a foolish move in which they got to rethink quick, you know? That's the game. Yeah, it's definitely a big risk, man. And, you know, it reminds me of the question I had for you, actually. What do you think's the biggest risk you've taken that had one, uh, we'll go with two, right? One that has paid off and one that didn't pay off. Okay. Um, we'll go with the with the one that hasn't paid off real quick just because it's not too major right now. I wouldn't say it's the biggest risk, but it goes to this. It goes back to this point. So this year was crazy for us. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was literally the best time for our company. So it, when it hit, it, it fucking hit, man. It hit us hard. You know, we had just come off our first Emmy. Um, we were getting all the clients we, we've dreamed of. You know, we started off shooting weddings and fucking quinceaneras. And, you know, last job we were doing was Wilson, Nike, Google. We were getting big, you know, recognition. Our, our budgets were getting bigger. Our revenue was increasing. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And, you know, we were about to go shoot South by Southwest. That got canceled. We were shooting um, a tennis tournament. Got canceled. So all of our prospective jobs, you know, this was the first time in our five years that we have ever been ahead of the game like oh i know what we're doing next month and i know what we're doing the next month so like for us to get to that point was like yo we did it right because that goes back to what my my big risk was that was starting this company that was a risk but then this year hit and we had to be smart we had less jobs we had to you know i had to make some very uncomfortable decisions on who to hire and who to not hire on shoots on what made more sense who do i feed when you only got a dollar and you got about 20 people to feed you know that it was rough um, and we had to make big decisions on what to buy. I know we were talking about gear earlier. That's a big decision. When you make your first little bag and you're like, do we buy a mic? Do we buy a camera? Do we just pay ourselves for fucking once? You know, that was something we struggled with. Bro, every time we get money, we're buying something and we're just getting tired. Maybe we just need a group vacation. You know, it's, it's strategy. Um, and we, we, made a, we made the decision to buy a big, fancy $4,000 dolly. We used that motherfucker one time since, and it didn't even work that well, um, you know, which goes to show, you know, we, we have to buy more stuff to make it work. But, again, that's that risk stuff where, like, man, I, looking back, and this is what it takes to be, you know, a leader of a company, when you have to, when you have to face that uncomfortable what should have been done, we should have just saved that money because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, another scary half a year and we got to be ready. I should have had that money saved in case something hits the fan, in case someone needs something because you just never know. Um, so, you know, risks, uh, even in the smallest, it's, it's you add them all up and that can make a failed company or it can make a successful company. Um, and the biggest risk was, was really me starting this company. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up being told you got to make money my whole life. I came from no money, you know. My pops didn't finish high school. My gramps, I don't think, finished high school. Um, so I was, like, told to go to college. You know, that was a big part of the documentary, too. You know, no, there was no other jobs in my neighborhood, so I was told to go to college. So I went to college. I was told to make money, so I went to school to be an accountant. 
I didn't even fucking know what accounting was really. I just I just thought that's what I had to do. So I, I got to bring back the bread for the fam. Um, and then after college, I went to become a teacher. So I had a whole different other life. I went from learning about money to learning about kids and how kids grow and how communities grow. Um, so none of that had anything to do with a camera or a microphone or a storytelling. And yet in my gut, I knew that's what I always wanted to do. You know, I've always been a storyteller. It was like I was a straight A student because I knew I had to be. But when I had free time, I was usually watching movies, reading books, writing, um, just kind of quietly because I, I just couldn't be loud and say I wanted to be an artist. That you know, at a time where my family was like, get money. You know, that's the last thing they wanted to hear me say. Yeah. Um, but then you know, you get out of college and you don't gotta ask mom for permission. You know, anymore. And that's when you start to think about, well, you know, what do I want to do? I love teaching. It was really important for me to teach. But I noticed on my free time, I was still gravitating towards story, watching films, analyzing them, breaking down, thinking about what I would have done different. And yeah, you know, I, I was I was in my mid 20s and I thought I can stay a teacher forever, but I'm realizing that I can still educate the world without being in a classroom. Right. So I crossed that out. I love business, but I want to be in this world of storytelling. So. I saved up the little bit of money I had, you know, teachers don't make too much. Um, and I bought a camera. The first thing I really ever bought myself that was expensive. Um, but it was just like, yo, ain't no one going to make your dreams come true but you. You know, and I, I just kept that in the back of my head. I got a plan. I didn't just go gung-ho wild without a plan. I, I had a, a, a potential business partner who was one of my best friends, my brother, basically. He was already in Chicago shooting music videos, um, kind of getting a little bigger. But he was always like, man, I need help. I need someone with, with, with the strategy in mind who thinks about accounting, who thinks about finance. So like all of the stuff I have done started to make sense. And it was like, yo, it's not like it's a crazy risk. It's yeah. not because I'm coming in with a skill set that artists need. And I realized that. And I already got someone that's got traction. So I'm not going to be broke. I'm, I'll, I might have some uncomfortable work, but I'm not broke. Um, but it was still a big risk. I mean, my whole life, no one would have, you know, you, I never out loud said I want to be a film director, but I always wanted to be. That's definitely a tough situation, man. You know, it's a situation that a lot of minorities find themselves in, uh, even Chicago minorities, right? Specifically because, you know, we're from Chicago. So knowing that, you find a lot of people who have similar backgrounds where they're told, hey, you got to go to school. Hey, you got to go make money so that, you know, you could eventually support yourself, but maybe even support somebody else. And it's a tough thing to hear when you are an artist because that's what you really want to do. And you got to put that as to the side until one day you can finally say, hey, you know what? I got to go live life for me. You mentioned music and how it's been such an impactful thing for you. Now, the soundtrack you also mentioned to me is going to be produced by you and your grandpa. Go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, music is, is to me, just as important almost with any film I watch um, as the visuals. I think it, it enhances the emotion. It provides a, a situational environment. And, um, you know, oftentimes when I'm watching movies, I'm listening to the sounds just as much because a change in sound can change the whole feel of something, um, the whole the whole energy. So... Because this documentary all began with my gramps and him sitting at home playing the guitar all day, you know, we thought it was really important to make sure that the sounds told the story just as much as the interview clips. Because um, that's, that's really what my gramps' music 
is, you know, a, something happened in life, and he went home, and his thought was to record it via lyrics. So, you know, he's got a song called Those People, and the, the chorus is, those people don't know what life has done to me, you know, and, like, that hits just as much as him saying in an interview, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. It's the same concept, but mm -hmm. it just hits the way it does because it's the music and it's at the right time with the right emotion. So, you know, we basically have been taking my Gramps' music and remaking it, producing it with different artists. Um, the producers on the, on, the, on the track, on the album, is me and my business partner, Rumen who's master with, with music production, mixing and mastering. The composition of it is coming from a lot of us. Uh, my other business partner and pretty much co-producer on this project, um, Matt Getz, is also a guitarist and pianist. So it's all homegrown, man, everything, everything. And then when it comes to the lyrics, um, yep, it's either something that my gramps wrote in the past or something that I'm writing or I've written. Because um, I've always been a lyricist, you know. Like I said, I grew up in a neighbor. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where art was was prominent. There was artists and musicians everywhere. My family were were all musicians, everyone. Um, so I, that's what I saw all the time. You know, my gramps would be just kick, and he lost his job. He didn't have a job, so he was at home. You know, doing what he had to do to make money on the side. But when he was home, he was always with a guitar or with a notebook. So I saw that, and when I first wanted to get into the creative world. You know, that's, I picked up a notebook and I started with lyrics. I just, I've always been a poet ever since I was younger. Just, you know, I used to rap a little on the side when I was a younger cat, like everybody else that grew up in South Chicago. Um, and I, I just, I know that this album and this soundtrack and these sounds are going to be just as impactful because of them being written based off the story that it's telling. So it's all it's all holistic. I mean, it's just it's just hard being under-resourced, you know? Like to make a song, you got to write it, you got to get it performed. You got to find someone to, to to be the voice and be the band and be the sound. You got to get it recorded, you got to get it mixed, you got to get it mastered, then you got to shoot the video on top of it. So you know, we don't really got a whole lot of budget. We're pretty much doing this shit with with money that's invest. You know, that people, our friends and family, have given us through crowdfunding. So, it's hard for me to make those decisions on do I want to spend three thousand dollars on this song when we only got about twelve thousand dollars for the ninety minute joint plus the music. So, it's it's been interesting, but I'm gravitating more and more towards letting the songs win because they're just beautiful. You know, they're beautiful. They they they're spoken and created out of an emotion that happened at a certain point where only a certain group of people felt that way. And yet at the same time, it still resonates with people who don't even know the situation. They just, who, you know, who, who, who doesn't know what it feels like to hear that term. Those people don't know what life has done to me. I, I, I got a feel for who you are. You must be a very complex character. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun and we've got, you know, rappers, we got singers, we got Spanish music. Um, we got a little bit of everything because we're trying to tell the story from way back, and so we got to start with music from way back. So it's it's definitely going to be a unique sound. I think it's going to be one of the more unique soundtracks ever, let alone, you know, for a documentary. Yeah. Man, you got me really excited for it, and you explained it really well, uh, just how I feel about music. You know, everybody's got a story to tell, and that story, you know, it all starts with the lyrics you know, with the music production, you have a different type of beat. It turns it into a different type of song. And just 
I really that's why I love Spanish music because of the story that a lot of artists are telling, you know. Uh a lot of the times it's like sad love songs like Aventura, uh Prince Royce or even older Mexican artists, you know, Juan Gabriel. All those artists they're telling a story that although you may not if you don't speak Spanish, you may not understand it, but you can understand it through the sounds of it. Now, if you do look into the lyrics and understand the lyrics, you understand that, you know, this is some real shit that everybody has gone through or this one person has gone through and, you know, it changed their whole life. So just with that idea, I'm really, really excited to see the documentary, listen to the soundtrack and see what your grandpa's life has been like and how it impacted you, man. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Man, it definitely has been great listening to your story and now we're going to move to the end, right? I know I informed you about that special object. So, yeah, man, go ahead and pull out that special object that you brought. All right. It's, it's kind of nerdy. So, yeah, I'm a nerd, basically, by heart. Um, I, I try to play cool, but I'm, I'm a nerd, and I'm very proud of it. Shout out to all the nerds out there. Those that are hiding, just come on out. It's, it's, not, it's cool to be a nerd now. Um, but, yeah, so this, 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 Im- this book that I brought... Um, it's the first thing I ever purchased when I got money, which I think is kind of strange because, you know, most people get money and they're buying chains and they're buying shoes and I bought a fucking old ass book. But um, it's got two, it's a two part special meaning for me. Um, one, it was to me again, my first, I think, thing that I bought as a treat to myself. And I'm not one to really treat myself too much because I just, like I said, I got a lot of obligations, but. I was just becoming a teacher. I was making a salary for the first time. You know, coming out of college, I was the kid in college that used to steal people's drinks from bars because I didn't have enough money. I just grabbed whatever the fuck was on a table left over, um, you know, hustling at, at all means to, to make things happen. So when I first got money, you know, I, I took care of everything I had to take care of. But I was like, you know, I made it. I'm the first one in my family to fucking go to college, let alone graduate. Um, and I'm really happy with the person I am right now. So I used to go to a bookstore all the time, every week, and buy books. Because my gramps used to just, he drilled that shit in my head since I was a kid. He used to always say, mijo, learning is the only thing you can do for pretty much free. And if you want to battle with anyone, you can beat them with your brains. You might not be able to beat them with your pockets or your resources, but you can outwit them. So you got to stay reading. You got to stay hungry for, for knowledge. Um, and this book in particular is very, very important to me because it was one of the foundations for me of storytelling, and it got me really into understanding that I can take a story and change the perspective. So it's a Peter Pan book. It's like an original from when J.M. Barry, the author, it was one of his first publications, the first round of publications. And... Um, yeah, it was like a hundred bucks. I mean, it's not like crazy or nothing. There's some crazy ass prices on books, man. You'd be surprised. Yeah. But again, for me, it was like, yo, I bought something nice for myself. And the reason why I love this story so much is it was the first story to me that made me realize that the storyteller is the one with all the power. It's not always the story that's being told. It's who's telling it. Um, because everyone knows Peter Pan. Everyone knows the story is a little fucking kid that doesn't want to grow up and he's running around fighting pirates and indians and natives and um captain hook is this master villain who's always trying to fuck up his plans but in reality that's not really the story that's actually kind of far from it um it's a lot deeper even though it's a story meant for kids and when i read this book i realized that my idea of the villain in this is actually peter pan and my idea of the hero is actually captain hook 
because in reality, what you're really seeing in the story is you have this character, Peter Pan, who basically just doesn't want to fucking grow up. He don't want none of his friends to grow up. He don't want nothing to go not according to his plan. And he'd fuck with anyone who fucked with his plan. And you got Captain Hook, who's this old man who basically just wants to help these kids grow up. And I don't know, I just resonated with Captain Hook because as a kid, I feel like I, got, I had to grow up fast. You know, I didn't have a childhood. I had to be the man of the house right away. So I understood a lot of the themes that Captain Hook was talking about, which is own up for your responsibilities, take care of your own. You got to grow up and you got to make those tough decisions, even if they're uncomfortable. And Peter Pan's really the one who just wasn't about that. He didn't want to grow up. He didn't want to face that responsibility of what it takes to be an adult. So, yeah, that book means a lot to me because you know it's the one collectible I ever bought, and um, it's a story that made me realize that a I see things a little differently than other people, which is why I'm realizing that my perspective is something that I'm just starting to value more, and put it to use. I mean, that's essentially what my documentary is about. My grandfather and my community were Captain Hook. Everyone sees us as the villains because of who told the story first. But in reality, you know, we had to grow up fast and we had to make some tough decisions, some in which can be considered villainous, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to survive. Just like the song, you don't know what these people have done to me. Exactly, man. It's all full circle, bro. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, bro. I really appreciate you hopping on Sad Boy Radio. And, you know, you got a lot to tell. And those are stories for another time. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Sad Boy Radio. Thank you all for watching. Go ahead, like, comment, and subscribe. And go follow my boy, Stephen Walsh. I'll go ahead and drop his ads in the description below. Thank you. Thanks. This is Sad Boy Radio.